everybody. Welcome to Bottom Line with Bob and Kendall Ehrlich. We have an amazing special guest that I'll let my husband introduce today. A very timely guest with lots of great information for you. So you're going to love this episode. But before we get to that, remember your Valentine's list for original, <laughs> unconventional, and inconvenient. The perfect Valentine's gift, dear. Donald Trump and his mega movement by Governor Bob Ehrlich right here next to me. So put that on your list and get it done. You play your cards right. You may get that book again this year, you know? <laughs> Another great Valentine's gift. <laughs> Call me romantic. What can you say? That's we are right. really excited this week to have a, a friend, but not just a friend, uh, someone who served our country in numerous capacities at the highest level so very well over the past couple decades. Uh, former Secretary Mike Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, thank you for your service and thank you for being our guest this week. Bob, Kendall, Governor, it's great to see you. Uh, maybe my wife will get a copy of the book, too. <laughs> she should be so lucky, let me tell you. <laughs> that should be on her list exactly. for you, Valentine's. You're probably Kevin. as romantic as I am. Uh, <laughs> not that this guy needs much of an introduction, but uh, just to remind our subscribers, uh, West Point, first in his class, Army officer, tank platoon commander, Harvard Law School, that little law firm, Williams & Connolly, uh, you may have heard of uh, the successful businessman, U.S. Congressman, CIA Director, Secretary of State, and most importantly today, running around our country talking about issues of prime importance to the American public. Mr. Secretary, we have three. Uh, we have limited time today. Uh, we thank you so much for your time. We have three general areas of inquiry for you, and the first, in my view, is the most important. It's China. And uh, with regard to China, just your thoughts on that, that first initial meeting between, uh, the, at the time, the new Biden administration, Secretary Blinken, and senior Chinese officials, where they, they wrote us the woke act, sort of set the terms of debate and terms of treatment for the next four years. Well, Bob, it's interesting. You'll recall that that actually wasn't the first meeting between this administration and the Chinese. The first meeting was with John Kerry. And I mentioned that because that's important. It signaled to the Chinese that we were willing to trade an awful lot on the ideology of climate change. We all yeah. want clean, we all want safe safe drinking water, clean air. Oh, sign me up! But they 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 signaled the Chinese we're willing to give you a lot of room if you'll just agree to some fake promise in COP26. And so what you saw happen in Anchorage was a, was subsequent to that. It, it made a, a perfect corollary where we essentially let them talk about BLM and how what a decaying nation the United States was. And we refused to push back and make clear that our way works, that this is an exceptional country and we're not going to allow the Chinese Communist Party to dictate the rules by which the United States will interact with the world for the rest of the century. Speaking of Chinese intent, we can, I guess, divide the question into traditional power, hard power, and soft power. Let's get to hard power quick, uh, quickly. South China Sea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, hypersonic weapons development, all hard power initiatives of Beijing. Great success over the past, certainly the first year of the Biden administration. Your thoughts on Chinese hard power today? They're a real hard power competitor. You mentioned the hypersonic glide vehicles, their space program, it's first class. They're cyber program is world-class they are they are very capable their nuclear program although smaller than ours is smaller than that of russia is now first class as well newer than ours there is a lot of work i wrote a extensive paper on how i think we should deter chinese aggression in the nuclear space and how we create what is essentially a follow-on to president reagan's sdi initiative 
that can provide the strategic stability against this hard power Chinese capability. There's a lot of work to do, a lot of investment. American technology can do this, but we have to be serious about it. And then we have to make sure that when we develop these high-end capabilities that we don't let the Chinese steal them, much like the capabilities they have today. A lot of them are derivative of stuff we did because they ended up owning our intellectual property. Well, speaking of which, soft power, the Belt and Road Initiative, the purchase of U.S. farmland, IP theft uh, you just mentioned, their growing footprint in Central and South America. We're getting to fentanyl. Kendall's going to do the border with you in a few minutes. But talk about Chinese soft power, how aggressive they've been, how successful they've been to date, especially during the first year of the Biden administration. Boy, Bob, it's been a tough year. You remember one of the things we did in the final year of our administration was we closed the Chinese consulate in Houston, Texas. Yes. That was just indicative and of the problem. You got trashed for that, too. You got trashed well, we for that. We, we did. And it was, just in, it was indicative of their efforts, their United Front efforts to coerce the United States. We think about this being some far-off place in Beijing and in Shanghai. The truth is they're operating right here at home. I gave a speech to the National Governors Association. Your governor, Governor Hogan, was nice enough to give me the chance to do that where we talked about how they're working PTA meetings and school board meetings here in the United States. This soft power is their primary tool. It's what they believe will ultimately deliver them the outcomes they want without ever having to fire a shot. And we've, we've turned the other cheek for a long time. Uh, an American diplomat in China can hardly move around to Beijing. A Chinese diplomat in America can go wherever they want, speak with whomever they want, and conduct whatever kind of coercive uh, information warfare here in the United States that they choose to do. And it has really, really given them a lot of power. You know, Mr. Secretary, most people don't even realize that. They, moms of this country have no idea that that threat is right next door to them. What else have you been doing to sort of get that word out? And how can people like us and others that are listening help get that word out to to really bring it home and make it real? Especially the farmland issue. No one's talking about that. And it's real. It's real. Uh, the Chinese have an enormous food security challenge. It's very difficult them, for them to produce themselves, either the energy or the power they need to have food security for 1.4 billion people. Uh, that's why they're buying this farmland and big farm companies as well, not just the land, but the assets and the operations around them. Uh, look, boy, your, your point, Kendall, is a good one. The, the first pro step of every 12-step program is to acknowledge one has a problem. And so we spent... <laughs> We spent the last 18 months, my last 18 months of the administration going around the, the country and the world saying we have this challenge. It's not 10 feet tall. It's not impossible. We can confront it, but we have to identify it and solve for it. And so I hope state elected officials in the assembly in Maryland and the state Senate in Pennsylvania will take seriously what the Chinese are doing at the subnational level and begin to recognize that when the Chinese show up and say, we got a ribbon cutting and we'll invest a whole bunch of money in your city, or your county, your borough, well, it sounds great. And those jobs are real. Uh, the political costs associated with that can often far exceed the benefits that happen in any one given community. Mr. Secretary, as a freshman member of Congress coming in during the Republican Revolution of 1994, the business community, the establishment, the establishments of both parties sold us on the then existing and even today existing presumption value if you will that all we have to do is indulge all we have to do is acquiesce all we have to do is let the look the other way when the chinese do their thing because they'll liberalize 
the more they grow, the less dangerous they'll become. The great false assumption that the Trump administration, and you especially, shot down successfully, at least in the short term, because that assumption seems to be back now. Talk a little bit about that. I, I often discuss this during my speeches and, and Lincoln Day dinners and book tours and all that. That was the great bipartisan assumption of both party establishments for decades. Not true. You, you, you nailed it. This is, uh, you know, I, I fault business to a significant degree. But in the end, government was advocating for this. We were sending diplomatic missions to China with governors from Maryland and all across the country yep. from Kansas saying invest there. So so they were spurred to this. They were they were told you will be politically rewarded for making these investments. It was American policy. And your point well taken a bipartisan policy. This was not Republicans or Democrats. This was the establishment foreign policy. Whatever, whatever validity might have held true in the 70s when Kissinger opened up in the 80s or 90s, I, I just know it's not true today. And so my, my, my push to American business today is you are where you are. <laughs> we, we, may have we may have pushed you there. You can be upset about that. Fair enough. But where we are today is we're in a confrontation for the soul of the world. And the Chinese Communist Party's desire to be the hegemonic influencer will undermine your business in the long run, and it will hurt your family and your community in the short and near run. We need to fundamentally shift this. It will not be free. There'll be businesses that are harmed by this. When we put tariffs on agriculture product, I can't tell you how many Kansans I heard from, farmers from Wichita and Wellington and Winfield saying, hey, this is going to hurt my access. But in fact, we ultimately gain them access to Chinese markets. When you confront, you gain power. When you are weak, you risk uh, allowing them to be right about we'll America. That we'll observation right. so, so true in a second. But last issue with respect to China, Xi Jinping, sold as a pragmatist, now looks more like Mao 2.0. Your thoughts on this very serious power player on the world stage today? Uh, so, Governor, he is a pretty capable politician. He'll grab a little from Mao, he'll grab a little from uh, the guys who are opening up, whatever suits him for the moment, with the singular focus in each case, whatever face he's putting on for the moment, in each face he's aimed at a singular thing, maintaining power for himself and his clique in the Chinese Communist Party and growing the capacity for China to be uh, the middle kingdom again, the, the China dream. Uh, so wh whichever tool, the ideological tool or the uh, can't we all just get along tool he happens to show you that day they are singularly focused and he is uh, he is intent upon this global domination in a way that no chinese leader has been for an awfully long time mr secretary switching to russia is this primarily about ukraine and nato and their fear of eventually ukraine joining nato so i think vladimir putin's overplaying the risk that he truly feels. He's not concerned about Ukrainian aggression. I think he does want political influence on his boundaries. Uh, that, that's certainly true, but it's bigger than that. It's also him demanding to continue to be a player on the global stage to make sure that Russia has access to markets for its products and that we don't shut them out. Uh, you, you know, too, he's got these deep relationships where he's kind of stuck in Syria as well with the Iranians. Uh, so he's got a complex domestic and foreign policy. And so this chance to push on the Americans to gain political influence on his uh, periphery, whether it's in Georgia or in Armenia or Azerbaijan, or now in Ukraine or in Belarus, uh, he's, he's going to keep pushing. And the only thing that will force him to slow down just a bit 
is the United States demonstrating that uh, we have uh, we have the capacity to make it expensive for him. And if he behaves appropriately, we'll have a great relationship with him. And if he doesn't, it'll just be fraught, and his domestic situation will get more difficult. I think I think that's the model. It's not much so no much military as it is economic and diplomatic. And these softer tools are the ones that I think hold both the carrots and the sticks that will get Vladimir Putin to behave in a way that is simply more normal. He's an autocrat, but my question to you is maybe haven't been asked this question very often. How sensitive is he to body bags coming back, to to losses on the battlefield with respect to Georgia or or the later conflict with regard to Ukraine? He's an autocrat, but Russia is not a strong country. We all know that has a GDP of Texas. Uh, so w- w- where does he fall? What, what, is, what is your thought about this guy? So he, he's more sensitive to it today than he might have been five or 10 years ago, but he still has the oligarchs around him and the capacity to uh, tell stories about the, the greater, greater Russia and the fact that these, these individuals came back in body bags defending greater Russia. That narrative still holds a great deal of sway with the majority of the Russian population. Uh, so it's, it's less, he has, uh, he has less capacity to suffer that for a long, but boy, uh, if you compare that to what uh, the Germans or the French or the Belgians or the uh, Lithuanians are prepared to tolerate, uh, it's much greater. And importantly, Vladimir Putin knows that. <laughs> he knows that he has uh, much less political risk than these European countries do and that they are soft. Well, isn't that really the bottom line here with regard to what you earlier stated, uh, weakness, invites trouble miscreants play on weakness he sees a, a weak alliance and, and and talk speaking of which talk about germany what's the deal with germany is it all about energy it's all about energy and german companies and the nexus between the two german uh, economic well-being for the biggest german companies uh, they, they've grabbed the wrong end of the stick on energy when they shut down their uh, nuclear power plants they they, they put themselves, and by the way, denied the ability to, to frack in their own country to provide energy for themselves. They've now put themselves in a box they can only get out of by putting themselves at the feet of Vladimir Putin's energy. And that's, that is not good for German, the German people. It's really bad for NATO and the European alliance with the United States as well. It creates risk for us because if they ever, the Russians ever go that way and ever shut this off, the demand for the Americans to come to the rescue will be enormous. Well, that's a great lead into my next question. What would President Pompeo do today of course president pompeo may not be in the same situation because the russians wouldn't perceive weakness from the united states of america but given my 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 premise here what would you do today what's the appropriate u.s response it's it's tough given where we are today the hard work of deterrence would have happened months or years ago yeah Uh, i know yeah so fair enough if if i were sitting where we were today um, i'd be taking some of the same actions that the biden administration did I think the difference would be that in our administration, they would have viewed them as credible. When, when President Biden says, I'm going to send some soldiers to Eastern Europe, Putin says, sure, uh, you'll, you'll probably send folks to direct traffic, yeah. <laughs> right? In other words, he, does, he doesn't view them as uh, a sustainable model for demonstrating deterrence through deeds, not words. Uh, so I think we would have, uh, our administration would have had that advantage. If we said, hey, we're going to send folks to Eastern Europe, it would have really put Putin on his back foot in a way that those same actions under President Biden just simply can't do. Uh, I'd, I'd be working to build out that alliance. The Eastern European countries feel this strongly. 
they're pretty capable too. And then I would be I would be running an operation that made sure that we provided the Ukrainians with the tools that they need okay. to defend themselves to the maximum extent possible. I'm going to turn it over to Kendall here to talk about the border, our last issue. But before I do, just just comment, if you will, briefly on it's fascinating, I think, to middle America to see all this interest from the Washington establishment, bipartisan Washington establishment with regard to Ukrainian sovereignty. And the left, the progressive left, the traditional left, of course, being scared, just quiet these days. But this progressive left, no cares in the world about U.S. sovereignty in the southern border. The, the, the contrast, the dichotomy is, is, is scary, but it's true. You see it in, in their rhetoric. Your thoughts. <laughs> you know, you, you, we're all laughing just a little bit, but it, it is so it's and we're laughing because it, you, you can't wrap your mind around it in a way that, that is reasoned or logical to, to think that we're going to we want to protect the southeastern Ukrainian border and risk American lives potentially to do so. But we're not prepared to defend our southwestern border is nutty and antithetical to how our founders thought about our nation as well. Uh, so that it is certainly not lost on me that uh, the progressive left always thinks America's in the wrong. <laughs> so we're in the wrong if we let the Russians move in Ukraine, and we're in the wrong if we don't let illegals transit our border. Uh, somehow it's an America last policy that they grab their, that they are able to grab onto, and it's indefensible. We should spend a lot more energy defending our southern border uh, than we do defending borders for others. It's not unimaginable that we do both. It's what we did for an awfully long time. Yeah. We could certainly get there again. During my tenure in Congress, it was the Blame America First crowd. They just have a new moniker, that's all. Mr. Secretary, uh, the lady sitting next to me, I've been married to for almost 30 years, but she is a real expert. And as you know, former member, senior member of the Trump administration at DOJ, and a real expert with regard to child trafficking, drugs, especially fentanyl. So she's got a few questions for you. No, Mr. Secretary, just, just to comment about the southern border as it relates to fentanyl and human trafficking, as Deputy Drug Czar for the Trump administration, that administration really put those issues at the forefront, as you know. And in 2019, there were 70,000 overdoses. Now that's up to 100,000 overdoses, largely due to fentanyl, largely killing our young people. And I just wanted you to comment about the importance of the border issue just beyond the fact that illegal people are coming over, but what this means to the country and 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 what having two houses uh, could help to stop that. Like in the Trump administration, there was a designation of terrorist organizations for the cartels and just how important that is to have that. It's really important. Kendall, you saw it. By the way, we, we didn't stop it either. <laughs> is a constant challenge for the United States. There's a demand pull that is real. But what that means is that administrations and members of Congress have to take this seriously. I was in meetings with President Trump when he would raise at the highest level, the issue of fentanyl with Xi Jinping. So first it was being transited directly. Now it's passing through Mexico and coming into our border. Uh, that, that makes us, that gives us one more swing at stopping it. And this administration is determined to make sure that we don't stop it. It's, it's really tragic. Uh, to watch how they allow this free flow, not only of human beings, but of this product that is decimating communities all across the United States of America. You saw it in the numbers. Uh, I see it every day when I'm out talking to uh, Americans. Uh, it's impacting families, families who never thought they'd be touched by something like this are now seeing these drugs flow. And the price, you know this, right? As someone who worked in this world, the price now is so low because the volume, 
the supply is so high. Uh, this administration has just simply given up at controlling the of having the capacity to control the goods, the human trafficking across our borders, the drugs, both uh, illicit and illicit, now are going with no regulatory approvals across our border. And we also know there's lots of trafficking and things that are worse, terror issues, terror matters as well, that present a lot of risk to all those of us who live in places like Kansas and Maryland and all across our country. Yeah, it's really hitting all across the country. And I would say that American families are really touched by addiction. And it's just appalling that this administration just is silent, really, regarding this and, and does not talk about it and, and sort of lets it go along with all the other issues that go with the southern border. Kendall, you, you spoke earlier about what uh, having control of the House of Representatives of the United States Senate would mean. It would right. make all the difference in the world to those families. <laughs> You, you would have leaders that were prepared to take up legislation that would demand that the administration enforce a set of rules there that protected these families and, and defended them against the attacks from Chinese fentanyl and from uh, heroin moving across our southern border. Now, those are serious matters. These elections make a big difference to families. Sometimes they seem distant. You know, we were talking about Ukraine. And why, why does it matter? Well, it turns out that, you know, some third of all wheat produced in the world moves through Ukraine and Russia into the Black Sea and out. And so uh, our food in the United States will end up more expensive if we don't get the stability. It's not about it's not about making sure we punish Vladimir Putin. It's making sure we have stability. And the same thing applies on the American southern border. If you don't have an understanding of what's moving there, you have real risk. And so we have to win this set of elections come this November. I know um, we were an event with you a few months back now where we advanced that cause a good deal. We have to stay at it. People are excited. They think it's going to look really good. I've been at this long enough. You all have been at this long enough. I actually feel positive too, uh, Mr. Yeah. Secretary, but it's hard to keep positive with the news that comes in. I know. And it's only January. It's a long, it's a long <laughs> run. Uh, we got it. We, we, we have, it's, it's not even about campaigning. It's about talking about in a in a way that the American people can hear about the vision that one has for our nation. How do we this American way of life that we all value? How is it that we can elect people that are prepared to take all the all the crap that they will take in order to defend it? Now, when we do that, when we do that well, we'll get elected leaders. They'll mostly be Republicans, but we'll get people who are prepared to defend the things that matter most to American families. And I I pray that in November that takes place. Secretary, last question here. Just two sub-questions, follow-up. One, when uh, when you raised or President Trump would raise the issue of fentanyl with Xi Jinping, did you, what kind of answers did you get? That's my first question. And my second question is, Kendall is the expert on sex trafficking and the drugs, but no one talks about the terror threat for the southern border. You know, once in a while, you'll see a news report, oh, so-and-so was picked up on the watch list, but... We're, we're fat and lazy again, it appears, with regard to terror. Yeah, so uh, let me try and take each of those relatively quickly. The first is uh, uh, General Secretary Xi Jinping would always respect the fact that he knew he had fentanyl being produced there, and he would say, I will get my regulators to stop it. Uh, the truth is he didn't do any of that in a material way. For a moment, he, he shut him down for a while, and then they rerouted it. Right. Uh, I think now he'd probably say, hey, look, we're not shipping any to the United States. That wouldn't be true, but it'd be truer. <laughs> right, uh, right. And so, so progress there with direct shipment. Yes, exactly. 
Uh, so in in the end, it wasn't about what he said, but what he did. He he demonstrated no willingness to shut this down. I think he believes that this is helping American decline, right? And that's all to the good for him. Yes, As for terror, there are two problems. One is it's transit across our border. But I, I remind people when they ask me, you know, we've always worried about ungoverned spaces. And those ungoverned spaces were 6,000 miles away from us in the caves of Tora Bora or on some island in the Philippines. And so someone trying to attack us from abroad had a lot of work to do. We now have ungoverned spaces. You know, you can... Uh, maybe I can't, maybe I'm too old, but you all might be able to throw a baseball from El Paso into those ungoverned spaces. Um, this is this is different than we've ever had. We've not had, we've always had two oceans between us and trouble and we no longer do. And this will, maybe not tomorrow or next week or next month, but over time, bad guys find those spaces and they begin to build out. And so we're gonna have to think about how we perform counterterrorism operations much closer to home. Well, you are doing God's work. Your resume is outstanding. Your commitment to freedom and liberty is tangible. And we know you're running around. We've seen your schedule. (laughs) Well, we we appreciate that you're doing it. And you've given our listeners and all of us today a lot of information to get out and to continue to repeat so that people really are aware of this uh, subtle influence that many people aren't talking about. What is your, just concluding here, what's your final word today to our viewers with regard to what's going on in Washington, how depressed people are, how worried they are? We know the midterms is coming up, but even after the midterms, even if Republicans control both chambers, you're still going to have a President Biden in this administration. Yeah. My answer to that is the one that our founders gave us. It's It's a rambunctious nation if good people will build out in their communities. So your city council, your school board, uh, go to the chili cook-off at your church. Whatever, whatever, every place that you can have an influence and work and pray and do the right thing and help others understand what the right thing is, good things will happen. We'll get, we're gonna get another 250 years of American exceptionalism. I am convinced of it. I hear people all across the country saying, no more, I'm gonna get involved. I'm I'm optimistic, and I would urge everyone on this call to both be optimistic and then work hard to make that optimism be fulfilled. Well, good things are happening on our show today because of you. We thank you very much for your time. Thanks, thanks, Mr. Secretary. Very much. Godspeed. Nice to see you, Bob. So long. And thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Please go to BobRillick.com. You'll feel better. Thanks, everybody.